Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the Kingdom of God was the major topic of all of Jesus' preaching. It was obviously the objective to which he directed his disciples. Jesus, you see, was not a preacher in the modern sense of that word. He was more like a public announcer, or a town crier, or a herald. Now, one who has a message to herald makes absolutely certain that his message is clear. It is absolutely impossible to imagine that Jesus came into Galilee using terminology and phraseology which his audience couldn't possibly understand. To the contrary, a town crier, a herald, one bearing a message of supreme importance to the public, makes absolutely certain that what he has to convey to his audience is clear and unmistakable. In the case of Jesus, he used a phrase called the kingdom of God. That was obviously the heart of his message. Kingdom of God is his slogan, his watchword. It's the master term by which he invites attention from his audience. And so it's essential if we're to be Christians that we stand in those audiences, so to speak, in first century Palestine and hear what the Messiah had to say in terms of his own context and making sense of his language in the environment in which it was spoken. So what would we make then of this brilliant messenger arriving in Galilee and telling the audience to respond and repent in view of the approach of the kingdom of God? Would we be asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? Well, had we been a first century Jew, we would have known on the basis of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that the kingdom of God was promised for the future. Now, the kingdom of God was not some ethereal, abstract realm divorced from this earth. It meant a real empire, in fact, a messianic empire functioning on this earth with headquarters in Jerusalem. That's undoubtedly what was meant by the kingdom of God in first century Palestine. And that definition was based squarely upon the Old Testament prophets, upon the Hebrew Bible. And so when Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God, he didn't have to define what he meant. Two thousand years later, due to the incursion of church tradition and many alien ideas getting mixed up with our faith, we are in a position of having to define that kingdom of God for modern audiences. Many people, when confronted with the idea of the kingdom, seem unable to define it with any clarity. Now that makes understanding Jesus a very difficult task from the beginning. Since Jesus used as his master term, the term in which his whole message was concentrated, the phrase kingdom of God, it's obviously essential if we are to take part in the information that Jesus offers us that we understand this basic phrase, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was based on Daniel 2 verse 44, for example, where a fifth and glorious empire, the kingdom of heaven, was going to supersede the other previous Gentile kingdoms or empires. The kingdom of God then was a real empire, as much an empire as the empire of Nebuchadnezzar or of the Macedonians or the Greeks which preceded it. The kingdom of heaven was not to be a timeless, abstract, invisible realm either in the hearts of men or in heaven removed from this earth. No, it was to be the kingdom which would replace previous empires which had operated on this planet. In Daniel 7, we have another fine account of the kingdom of God. 
And there we find one called the Son of Man, who obviously represents not only Jesus, but also the saints in general, the faithful of all the ages, and to them is given, in Daniel 7.27, a kingdom under the heaven. Again, a concrete empire, a real kingdom of God, with a territory based on this earth. Now, that's the Hebrew meaning of the kingdom of God, and there's absolutely no reason to suppose that Jesus changed that meaning radically when he entered upon his mission in Galilee. If he had, in fact, used the kingdom of God in a sense unknown to the Jewish people of his time, he would have confused them at the outset. And so it's plain common sense to understand that Jesus used the term kingdom of God in the sense in which that would have been understood by those he was addressing. The kingdom then was the Hebrew empire of the future in which the Messiah was to be the king and principal ruler. Jesus then said, as he opened his ministry, that the kingdom of God was approaching. He did not say that the kingdom of God had arrived. He said it was near and coming. Now, it's obvious that during the ministry of Jesus on earth, as we have it recorded in the Gospels, a concrete empire did not materialize. Jesus did not become king of Israel in Palestine. On the contrary, he was crucified and subsequently resurrected and taken to the right hand of the Father. So what then happened to that empire, that kingdom of God, promised by the prophets of Israel? Well, the simple answer to that, according to the Bible, is that that empire awaits the time when Jesus returns in power and glory. In fact, the purpose of his second coming is to fulfill the rest of the messianic role, which he in Palestine never yet fulfilled. With his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his subsequent ascension, he did not fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. He never became the monarch seated on the throne of David in Jerusalem and ruling the world. But the New Testament Christians fully expected that he would do just that at his arrival in the future, at his second coming. Now, the story is perfectly coherent if we read the New Testament, forgetting some of our own prejudices and traditions, forgetting what we may have learned over the years about the kingdom of God, if we sit down and read it in its Jewish context, the story makes perfect sense. In Luke 24, verse 21, we find the disciples who had not yet become aware of the resurrection of Jesus saying, we thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's to say, we sincerely believe that as Messiah, he was coming to rule the earth and to free us from the domination of foreign governments. Now, that was not the wrong supposition. That was entirely reasonable in view of the whole messianic hope presented by that 77% of our Bibles, the Old Testament. Jesus, not for one minute, had discounted that hope of a real kingdom, a real empire to be established on the earth. And so his disciples naturally expected, in fact, they bewailed the fact that he had never yet come as Messiah, as ruling king. And so after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus went on to explain that there was a time program to be fulfilled in God's purposes. For six weeks after his resurrection, he had daily seminars with his apostles, as we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and he spoke during that time of the things concerning the kingdom of God. During that six weeks, Jesus was able to tell the disciples that the kingdom would come at a time unspecified in the future. At the end of that six-week seminar, that series of conversations between Jesus and the disciples, 
They asked him one famous last question. They said in Acts 1.6, Has the time now finally arrived for you to give Israel back its king? Is the time now right for the restoration of the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1 verse 6. Now that, of course, was a very Jewish question. But I want to point out to you that Jesus was a Jew, and that our Christian faith is founded on truths found in the Jewish faith. And so it was not a wrong question to ask about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. It was the right question in view of all the instruction that the disciples had received from Jesus himself. They said to him then in Acts 1.6, Is it now time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel, to come and rule as monarch on the throne of David in Jerusalem? Now, Jesus did not correct that question. He did not for one moment suggest that the question was misguided or mistaken or uninformed. He merely said, It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which God has placed within his own authority. In other words, the kingdom is indeed going to be restored to Israel. I am going to come back to rule the world as Messiah, but we do not know when that's going to be. It wasn't a question of whether the kingdom would be restored to Israel. It was only a question of when that would happen. At the end of that same conversation in Acts 1, in verse 5, Jesus had just finished saying that within a few days the disciples were to receive a mighty empowering of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now the time frame for that was utterly clear. It was to be the event of a few days from then. In a very few days, Jesus said, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit after I've ascended to heaven. But the timing of the coming of the kingdom was to be unknown. Now what that proves, of course, is that the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is not the same event as the coming of the kingdom. Now the church had been spoken of during the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 16:16. 16, 16. He said that on the confession of Peter, of Jesus as Messiah, he would found his church. But in Acts 1.5, it's clear that the church was going to be empowered with strength through a special outpouring of the Spirit, and that happened at the ascension of Jesus. But the coming of the kingdom, according to Acts 1, verse 7, is not to be an event of a few days from that conversation. The coming of the kingdom is not the coming of the Spirit. And therefore the church, which did indeed become public and empowered at uh, Pentecost, is not the same as the kingdom of God. To imagine that the church is a synonym for the kingdom is to confuse the biblical story considerably. It's to make a general muddle of the great central themes of Scripture. The kingdom is the concrete empire depicted by the prophets of Israel. It's the kingdom in which Jesus promised his followers positions as administrators. We find that in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30. The kingdom is the objective of the Christian race. The kingdom is the kingdom to be inherited. It's the kingdom which flesh and blood, you in your present constitution, cannot inherit according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. In other words, to enter the kingdom, or to inherit the kingdom, is to become an immortal person, and that we have not yet achieved. We have to wait for the resurrection at the second coming of Jesus, for that great transformation of our bodies into immortal beings. At that point, we can certainly inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God belongs to the age to come. And that age to come will be initiated by the return of Jesus in power and glory. Now, confirmation of these simple facts is found also in Acts chapter 3, 
verses 19 to 21. There we find in the 21st verse that heaven must retain Jesus until the time comes for the restoration of all things as all the prophets spoke. Now, that restoration, of course, is linked with the question about the restoration of the kingdom in Acts 1.6. And so just as we suspected in Acts 1 that the kingdom would come at the second coming, here we have this absolutely confirmed for us by Peter in Acts 3, verse 21. Heaven is to retain Jesus in this interim period now between the ascension and the second coming. And at the second coming, we're to expect the restoration of all things about which the prophets of the Old Testament spoke. And those all things about which they spoke, of course, concern the establishment of fair government, of sound government on the earth, and the proclamation of peace to all mankind, the actual execution of peace across this globe when the nations will beat their swords into plowshares, when they will never learn war anymore, and when the present military training academies will be closed once and for all. There will be no need for people to build tanks or to build bombs and threaten their fellow human beings with extinction. Those days we have not yet achieved, but they will be achieved according to the promises of the whole of Scripture at the second coming. Now, it's to that kingdom that the gospel invites you. When Jesus spoke of the coming kingdom and invited people to repent, to change their minds, and to become involved with that kingdom, it was an invitation to prepare now for rulership with Jesus Christ in that kingdom on the earth at the second coming. We invite you to join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel of the kingdom of God.